Welcome to the Tell Us Something Podcast. I'm Mark Moss. This week on the podcast, Dagny Deitchman and I revisit the story that she shared about guiding a river trip on the Salmon River. It's interesting, like thinking about that younger guiding version of myself and where I'm at with it now. In that story, she shared how she dealt with a client who inappropriately expressed his displeasure at having to use a groover. We talk about how she might handle that differently now. Dagny shares how Tell Us Something changed her life, and we talk about some of the sleep research she's been doing as she pursues her PhD. After our conversation, you can hear the Groover story as she shared it live on the Tell Us Something stage. Big thanks to our title sponsor, The Good Food Store. And thanks to our enduring sponsors, CabinetParts.com and Blackfoot Communications. Special thanks to our champion sponsor, True Food Missoula. Thank you for joining me as I take you behind the scenes at Tell Us Something to meet the storytellers behind the stories. Each week, I sit down with a Tell Us Something storyteller alumni. We chat about what they've been up to lately and about their experience sharing their story live on stage. Sometimes we get extra details about their story and we always get to know them a little better. Hey, Mark. How's it going? Good, Dagny. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. There's a lot going on, but I think that's everybody, so. Yeah. How are you? I'm all right. It's like, we call it the Corona Coaster. Yeah. <laughs> God, isn't that the truth? <laughs> uh, but you're about to disappear soon. Yeah, I'm about to disappear soon. I have my first trip June 30th, so I'm trying to be in Stanley, Idaho by probably the 27th at the latest is my hope. Have you been on the water already yet this year? I haven't been because I started a PhD program in Bozeman. And so my plan initially was to still do six to eight trips this summer. But then with the Corona Coaster and everything that that brought, it just really shifted what my priorities were this summer. And so I decided to give some of those trips to other guides who primarily make their income through guiding and I kind of stepped back because I have other stuff going on that I could focus on instead so that's good I talked a little bit here about all the rivers I plan to paddle this summer and we eddied out a bit before getting back into the current so I just listened to your story again Uh (laughs) have you you listened to it since you did it man I don't think that I have I probably listened to it like like a couple months after I did it, but I don't think I've revisited it since then. It's so great to listen to it right now after, like, toilet paper hoarding was a thing. Oh, gosh. Yeah, (laughs) totally. (laughs) So, but I really loved the way you were, at the very beginning of your story, you were, like, so empathetic to Ken. (laughs) Yeah, so it's super funny because I, just sort of thinking back to the time of telling that story, too, because I think that my trajectory in guiding has changed a lot and my like empathy for kind of garbage people (laughs) has changed a lot and it it's interesting like thinking about that like younger guiding version of myself and where I'm at with it now and and I I think it's really wonderful that I can hold like that somewhere in me like possesses that kind of empathy for people who like totally take advantage of you know the fact that I and they're working. And now I have, now that I'm older and I've just been in the game longer, where my boundaries have changed with that kind of stuff, you know, about like 
doing what needs to be done in terms of my job, but also like really not letting people get away with that kind of behavior when they know what they're doing is sort of wrong and a little bit abusive to the workforce. (laughs) How would you treat Ken differently if he was on your trip and like now? You've been doing this. This is your 12th season. Yeah. This is, so this is, and I can't remember how long I had been guiding when I told that story, because I haven't listened to it in a while, and it's been a bit, but. Eight years. Yeah, eight years, right. So, gosh, yeah, so just, how I would probably deal with someone like that now is really different. I think I would actually confront the person, you know, like, I think that I would still do my job, still take care of what needed to be taken care of. But I think I would approach that person and be like, or maybe not approach the person, but call all of the guests in and do sort of like a light public shaming thing of like, <laughs> hey guys, it's the last morning. And I was super disappointed to find that somebody just took a shit outside of the grouper. And I think that I really enjoyed getting to know all of you for over the course of the week, but this was really disrespectful. And I hope that if you go on a trip in the future, you never do this to anyone else again. You know, and I'd probably talk directly at him, but address it to the whole group. Right. <laughs> Just because I think that you can't treat people like that and it's not really fair to do that. And part of my empathy at that age was also not really knowing what my worth was in that role. And mm-hmm. I think that I've started to parse that out a lot better. And now that I know, like, the value of me being out there and the value of me guiding and me just like value as a person has changed knowing that it's okay to tell people what's not okay and like how not to treat you. And I think I just would have been a little bit more assertive about that situation now. (laughs) If you did it that way, how do you feel like the rest of the trip would go? Gosh, it was the last morning. So I think it would have been like the funny gossip on every boat like I think it still would have been fine I think that people would have just like giggled about it and probably the rest of the morning everyone would have been spent like trying to figure out who did it which would have been very entertaining from my point of view sure. you know <laughs> was Ken in your boat yeah he was okay so I mean I'm curious like how would he if you dealt with it that way how would he fare for the rest of the morning I mean, because obviously they would figure out it was him, right? I mean, I think people put in those situations, even though he clearly did it with the intent to, like, prove a point. Yeah. He also knew it was wrong because he did it anonymously. So my imagine, I would imagine that he would just lean super hard into the, like, I can't believe somebody did that. Right. You know, like, I would not expect other people to figure it out, huh. really. Um, but... Uh, it would have been nice to watch him squirm a little bit. I would have loved like, to be on that visibly boat. uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to be on that future boat when that happens again, Dagan. <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, hopefully it doesn't happen again. I but, know. You know, like people do really weird things when they're outside their comfort zone on those rivers, so it might. <laughs> I hope it doesn't. I mean, not only was he being disrespectful to you, but also to nature and and, yeah. and all of that other stuff. Totally. Right. I mean, that just, it violates the, like, no impact camping that we try and do out there that keep those river places pristine so that the next people who come have the same most wonderful experience. Right. I mean, okay, your behavior is going to affect, maybe we are, no one's allowed to be on the river anymore because enough people are behaving the way you are, Ken. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And maybe I would even say that, like, if I was doing the little public shaming speech, I would 
throw that in there. Like, man, if people act like this, none of you guys could come back in 20 years from now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and if you're not calling him out specifically, be like, what do you think, Ken? <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who doesn't do this very often have an opinion on this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So how did you, you know, in the beginning, uh, you were laughing to yourself at the beginning of your story. You said, quote, I don't talk about poop with my friends, and it's interesting <laughs> that I'm telling this story. <laughs> and you were, you were laughing. You, like, couldn't stop laughing. What, uh, I... what, what prompted you to pick this particular story? <laughs> that's a great question so it's funny I'm like I'm a child right within my own innermost circle of close friends and family like poop and fart jokes are like never not gonna make me laugh and my close close friends know this about me but I don't I'm very uncomfortable talking about this with like large groups of people so I honestly don't know why I chose that story other than it was such a salient memory at the time that it was it just seemed like the only story that I had worth telling and so the fact that I was embarrassed to talk about poop in front of, I don't even know how many people were in the Wilma that night, but the worthiness of a funny story was more important over and above me being embarrassed. So, which I think is a pretty solid theme for my life. <laughs> right. So. I'm trying to remember what the theme was. Oh, it was, uh, why didn't anybody tell me? Oh yeah, that was the theme. Why yeah. didn't anyone tell me? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh and to be honest like if i if that had been the theme and i was telling a story a, a year later i would have had an entirely different story to tell that is way more embarrassing than that story so um but that was an interesting a, night i mean we had we had katrina's story which was like the the poignant story of the night of self-discovery yeah. and like claiming her own dignity and, mm -hmm. and then we had uh Svein's story about his building burning down yes <laughs> in billings sawyer told the story about getting caught with porn <laughs> with the pornography yeah. <laughs> um and winnie is like story about not knowing that mozzarella cheese was uh oh yeah know. <laughs> the cheese stick story was so good so funny and then nicole Nicole's sweet story about what it was like to be homeless in L.A. Yeah. And, you know, like, and having to go to work and go to the gym to go to the shower and all. I mean, and then Susan started out with, I think she started out the night with um, her cancer story. And, yeah. And then you sort of lighten it up a little bit. And then Jenny, drink this, it's good for you, was the name of her story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, and then Louie. The, the cowboy story. Like, what a solid night that was. It was such an incredible experience to be one of the tellers. Like, I think that being one of the tellers in that story, like, really changed how I think about... I do a lot of work in sort of the political activism realm, and it really, really changed how I approach dealing with politicians or dealing with, like, engagement issues. And I now have found it really effective to always lead with a story because it can cover this, the span of everything that you just said. Like, we touched every human emotion that night, I feel like. And stories are really powerful. They help people remember. They 
assign meaning. Um, and I'm like a, I've been in a PhD program trying to become a psychologist and just, I've learned a lot about like neurobiologically what stories do and why they are so important in making us care about other people or other causes. And yeah, I mean, it was such a fun night and it was such like a great experience, but it, I think honestly, like just having that experience really changed my life and and not just telling my story but listening to others and watching their story morph into something that they could get on stage and kind of overcome their stage fright with like it was the whole thing was just something i'm very grateful for and still think about pretty frequently well at the time you were still finishing up your bachelor's degree yeah and so now you're entering a phd program yeah it's been a it's been a lot of growth in the past couple years (laughs) i have always I've loved school forever and I've always wanted to go pursue higher education I didn't really know what for and I think I have a such a bizarre eclectic background but I think that a skill that I possess that I want to leverage for you know whatever greater good causes I have is I like to research things and I like to clearly organize thoughts and present data to other people to try and um, inform them educate them so being in a research PhD program seems like the best way to learn the tools on how to do that. I currently work with a developmental psychologist who studies sleep. And so that's kind of like the venue by which I'm learning these research tools. I don't, at this point, I don't really anticipate myself being like a full-blown sleep researcher for my entire career. But I do, I'm really interested in sort of the topics that I get to like really in-depth explore, like like health behaviors and how they interface with different components like mindfulness or self-compassion or gratitude. And I also work in a political advocacy lab as well. So looking at the development of like political attitudes or uh, political activism in youth. Hopefully, eventually I'll get to use all of those in a way that I get to be my own boss is the long-term goal. (laughs) I mean, I'm already envisioning this camp for youth, an advocacy camp that talks about self-care and how it's important to sleep well and take care of yourself in order to be a good advocate and, you know. Yeah, totally. I'm signing up for that camp in my head right now (laughs) as an adult, you know. Totally. And I think that they're totally related, you know, like in order to be your best self and like really throw yourself into the things that you're passionate about and stand behind, like you have to take care of yourself. And the way you can take care of yourself is a multitude of things, but sleep is kind of the pinnacle. And I'm biased, of course, because I research it all the time, but sleep is super important. Uh, If you have like a generally healthy sleep cycle, people definitely have sleep disorders, but if you're a generally healthy person, but your sleep's off kilter, there's some pretty easy ways to get it back on track so i mean you'll have to stop me if i like go too far on this but what we do know of sleep one of the most important things is that sleep is very very important for emotional processing especially in your REM cycle where you're doing most of your narrative dreaming so the idea that like something that you did during your waking day you know had some connection to really good sleep and really vivid dreams probably tapped you into some kind of like really high level emotional processing. I'm working on getting my thesis done right now and my thesis project is looking at how components of positive psychology, specifically mindfulness and self-compassion interrelate to sleep. And both of those things are really heavily intertwined with things like meditation. So I feel like doing a sensory deprivation tank would be really informative as to maybe different ways I could construct my thesis discussion section. So I could probably write it off as, uh, you know, schoolwork. I was going to (laughs) say there must be a grant in there somewhere. 
There's got to be. There's a couple that I need to apply to on my list. You talked a minute ago about storytelling's effect on the brain. Yeah. There's a lot of studies that have been done around that. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure, yeah. And I, you know, full disclaimer, I haven't really looked up this information to write any kind of papers for it. So what I, a lot of what I've read has just been like really skimming, but really telling information. And basically the idea is this, and in a nutshell, is that when you communicate with other people, particularly when you're in person, you've got different areas of your brain that kind of are associated with things like empathy or compassion. And the science is a little bit out on this, but you have what's called mirror neurons. And when you see someone else doing something that you have a salient memory about, areas of your brain light up. So like, let's say you're a soccer player, for example, and you are watching a soccer game. There'll be areas of your brain that are associated with memories of playing soccer that might be more active while watching a soccer game. So you're actually like, invested in your neurobiology into watching the soccer game it's not like an accident that you're excited about it you have some salient memories that connect you to it and there is some research that's kind of going on that when someone tells a story something really similar is happening even if you've never really experienced exactly what that other person has experienced you've probably experienced some kind of salient component about it that is relatable in your own life for example you know, if we remember the stories that were told the evening that I was telling stories, you know, like maybe none of us ever were caught trying to flush pornography down a toilet. <laughs> like maybe that's not particularly <laughs> something that we could relate to, but we can all relate to being caught doing something embarrassing that we didn't think we would get caught for. And so that's lighting up different parts of our brain and establishing that kind of human connections. That's why I use it as a tool when I'm doing political advocacy or trying to, you know, work with politicians to get points across on things is I often use stories and I try and use stories that I think will be really relatable to other people so that you can actually elicit an emotional response to them. Because as humans, we don't often make decisions actually based off of facts. We mostly make decisions based off of emotions and stories are the best way to tap into those emotions. It's kind of like the nutshell version of it. <laughs> I love it. It's so you're you're essentially when you walk into a room, before you even get into that room, you know who's going to be there, and you're you're building your story around the audience that you know is going to be there. Totally. And some people, I think, are a little bit unsettled by this, but my my pushback would be that we do this all the time anyway without thinking, and that I think. If you're being intentional about it, it doesn't make you more or less manipulative than what's already happening around you. It's just making you more intentional about having a clear purpose to your story. <laughs> right. So you're thinking about, even if you're not putting the language to it, you're thinking about the outcomes of the stories that you're telling. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. One thing in particular that I worked on, so I worked for a, Idaho's largest conservation nonprofit all last year, and I did a lot of salmon and steelhead advocacy work and just trying to get a little bit more hype around uh, some legislation that's going on in the Pacific Northwest concerning these anadromous fish. And so I launched a storytelling project kind of asking people from very, very different political backgrounds to tell their favorite salmon and steelhead story. And so I talked to people who were very, very conservative, who were very, very liberal, and the way that I would sort of bring those people together or bring their ideas back to the idea that they care about these fish 
and that they should reach across party lines to find better solutions. It's just by whenever I would go to meet with them, I would start by asking them their favorite memory of salmon and steelhead. So it would kind of put them off of their guard, you know, of feeling like they had to be really loyal to one type of political system or another. It would just come from their human experience of like, oh, I grew up fishing with my grandpa or like fishing saved my life or my brother's a great angler and I love to go with him. You know, like sometimes I go into a place and I'll start with a story that I think holds an emotion. But I think the thing that's been more effective for the work that I do is actually asking people their story instead. So you're asking people to tell you something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I have two last questions for you, Dagny. Yeah. Were you ever able to learn how to ride a bike with no hands? Oh, gosh. I, no, I still can't do that. <laughs> it's very scary for me. I I think I'm a little bit better at riding with one hand now. And sometimes I'll do like a quick check, like, oh, can I do it? And I can make it like five feet. And then I freak out and I have to use both handlebars again so five feet i mean you're you just you did it you're doing it (laughs) the physics makes sense of that my emotional brain is like that's terrifying and i don't want to do it (laughs) (laughs) but you thought the same thing about telling a story yeah it's true and it changed your life yeah it did Maybe I should just bite the bullet and I'll, only, I'll buy a unicycle and then I will have no choice. Oh my I God. just want to learn. The other thing that you said you wanted to accomplish is to ride in a hot air balloon. Okay, this is really interesting that you brought this up. We were t- I went to a friend's house for dinner last night and we were talking about this. I still have never ridden in a hot air balloon. My friend's husband, who we were celebrating last night, he basically he does safety testing for a bunch of different companies like roller coasters or car crashes or like seat belts like he just he tests those things and he and my friend jennifer they've been together a very long time and on her 18th birthday it was her bucket list goal to go in a hot air balloon and she loved it and he was shooting bricks the whole time and now that he is a professional in his field of safety testing he's even more against hot air balloons apparently they're very very dangerous really uh, yeah so apparently you know, there's the basic dynamics of, like, you have a lot of fabric around you, there's flame, there's a bunch of propane tanks, like, you can't steer, so you're at the mercy of the wind. <laughs> you only have a certain amount of, like, fuel to get up and down for a trip, there's not, like, extra reserve fuel usually. And so there's, I guess, huge crashes that happen in hot air balloons. And despite hearing all these things, I still would like to go. So I'm probably <laughs> still going to try to do a hot air balloon ride at some point or another. And I'll just pick a question, yeah. nice, not windy day to do it. So, and Maybe a short trip. Yeah. Yeah, it won't be all day. I will uh, try and minimize the amount of time for me to crash land. So, Isn't that what everything is about, is minimizing risk? Everything has got a risk associated with it. Yeah, everything absolutely does. So we're about to, you and I are not going to listen to the story, but the listeners are going to listen to your story right now. And the way, the title of it is Getting in the Groove. Is there anything that you want to say about it that you haven't already said before people listen to it? No, I mean, not really. I think it's a 
it's a funny story. I probably will actually after this phone call get off and listen to it just to remind myself what that whole experience was like in that story that I told and you know. But not really. I mean it's it's kinda of funny. It feels like time travel. So It is a little bit like time travel and isn't that what storytelling is? Yeah, totally. <laughs> One thing that I learned from you and it was totally unintentional and there's no way we could have avoided this. When we're at the storytelling workshop and people are asking, like, what time should I be there? What, what can I wear? And all this. Now I tell people not to wear red. Really? Yeah, because the curtain at the Wilma is red. Oh, and you yeah, wore red, that's right. You wore red pants. Yeah. And so you yeah, look I like did. a disembodied torso. <laughs> <laughs> that is really funny. I did rem- I remember, like, seeing the video and thinking, like, can't really see me. That's <laughs> funny. Dagny, thank you so much for spending so much time with me today. I didn't think we were going to go this long. Yeah, no problem. I'm really glad to uh, have caught up. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm glad that you're still doing this 10 years later. I, it's been added a lot to my life, and I hope other people have found value in it too. So. Relevant. That's the word that I was trying to think of earlier. How does tell us something remain relevant when, when we can't do live performances anymore? <laughs> Yeah, so that creativity challenge, you know? Yeah, well, we'll get there. Someday we'll be back together. But um, until then, stay safe and have a fantastic summer. Yeah, thank you. You do the same work. All right, thanks, Dagny. Yeah, bye. Bye. Dagny Deitchman is a second-year graduate student at Montana State University, where she is the current coordinator for the Sleep and Development Lab. Dagny grew up in the small town of Salmon, Idaho where she has been a whitewater river guide for the past 12 years. Dagny guides on the middle fork of the salmon, which is Shoshone-Bannock tribal land. It is her favorite place in the entire world. If you can't find her on the middle fork of the salmon, expect to find her with her nose in a book, community building, or project managing somewhere. Dagny's current research focus looks at the intersection of sleep and positive psychology constructs such as mindfulness and self-compassion. When Dagny isn't working, you can be sure to find her with a paintbrush, on a dance floor, or cooking good food for good friends. In 2019, Dagny organized the Stories of Salmon and Steelhead project for the Idaho Conservation League. For a link to that storytelling project, visit tellussomething.org. Dagny's story was recorded in front of a live audience on March 29, 2016 at the Wilma in Missoula, Montana. The theme that evening was, Why Didn't Anyone Tell Me? Dagny calls her story, getting in the groove. Thank you for listening. The summer that I was 20, my life kind of fell apart around me. Uh, I came from a really stable home, and all of a sudden my parents were having marital problems. I had been a dancer my whole life, and all of a sudden my hips weren't really working, and I couldn't do what I wanted to do the most. I got fired from a job that I really loved, And, of course, I found myself in, like, the 18th or 19th heartbreak of my life because, you know, I fall in love every single day, so. Before I continue on with this story, I think it's important to know what I do in the summer, which has kind of already been introduced. But there's this joke, how do you know somebody's a river guide? Well, they'll tell you. (laughs) So I'm a river guide, and I work these multi-day trips, And there's almost nothing that I love more than this. I get to show people their public lands. I get to wake up every single morning 
not having slept under a roof or a tent, because if it rains, I mostly just roll under the nearest kitchen table. I adore getting to hear the stories of people who come and save up for years to just spend a week outside with me. So this is where I would introduce the character Ken. I knew Ken was gonna be a problem child the moment that I met him. And by child, I mean this guy was like 35. He was not a child. <clears throat> so Ken had gotten this river trip on the Maine salmon with his girlfriend, and they had found it on like a, a Groupon site or something along the lines of this. So it was discounted heavily, because this kind of guy would never be on this sort of a trip. And I say that affectionately, because so many different people from so many different walks of life come on these river trips with me. Um, but it was pretty obvious to me that Ken had never even been outside before. <laughs> and I know this because the first thing that he said to me was, so where do we poop? <laughs> and this is not that uncommon of a question. Being outside, especially if you're not used to it, that can be kind of an intimidating experience for a lot of people. <laughs> um, and I'm just laughing that I'm sharing this story because I don't talk about poop with my friends. This is like not a normal thing for me. <laughs> so I'm just laughing that this is the story I chose to tell. Um, <laughs> Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the river trips that I do, we have this really sophisticated system. It's called the Groover. And the Groover was traditionally this big rocket box. It was like a big square army can, and you sat directly on it, and it gave you grooves on your butt, and that's why it's called a Groover. <laughs> this is much more sophisticated at this point. Right now, we've got these really nice, they're called Johnny Partners, and they're these like big aluminum boxes. They have handles for guides to carry with ease. Um, we put a nice, beautiful toilet seat on them so people can pretend that they're inside and comfortable. <laughs> and we usually set these up like way away from other people in camp, and it's usually in this beautiful setting. And honestly, it's my very favorite place to go to the bathroom, so I'm not sure why other people struggle with this. <laughs> So when I received this question from Ken, where do we poop? I was like, okay, I've got this. I've dealt with people like this before. I'll just explain to him. And I was like, Ken, I'm really glad that you asked. Put on my happy river guide face. Um, <laughs> and I walked him over and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take this moment to show everyone in camp. So everyone come over here. This is how we do this. This is our hand wash system. Um, you'll know that someone's in the bathroom because they take this paddle with them. So if the paddle's gone, you know not to go over there. When the paddle's back, that means the bathroom's open. Yada, yada. I do my spiel. So after I do this whole spiel, I can tell that this wasn't really the answer that he was looking for. <laughs> He's kind of got this face on, like, huh. And I knew that that's not what he was getting at. So here I am, a year from having my life fall apart on me, and this was the summer that everything was going to go right. And Ken was just messing it up for me. So every conversation the whole week, Ken and I were just talking about different ways that he was trying to go to the bathroom in the woods and different ways that I didn't want to let him. I was very stubborn about it. So, Dagny, what would happen if, like, the Groover was full? 
he would ask me. And I'd just lie. I'd be like, we don't have that happen ever. That's not a thing. <laughs> and so he'd come up with more and more elaborate schemes asking me, like, what if, what if, what if? I think my favorite one was like, so if you guys left me here and you like forgot to pick me up and I was stuck out here by myself, I was like, well, there's probably another group a day behind us, so you would just pick up with them. Uh, <laughs> none of these answers were satisfactory to him, but I thought that I was super clever in just deviating him so that he would just forget about this whole topic. So the very last morning, we're at this beautiful camp, and it's called California, and it's this huge sandy beach. It's the last morning. The night before, we had played a bunch of games as a camp. We had finished off the rest of our beer. We had a really great meal. And I was the trip leader that week, so I was making sure that we were getting out of camp on time. I was making sure the boats were packed correctly. I was kind of scattered and going everywhere. And this was my last trip that I was leading that summer, so I was feeling really proud of myself and accomplished after like kind of picking my life back up and just being determined to make the best of things. And as I'm finishing up the last things, we have this moment in the morning, and it's a very important moment because that's when we're putting the toilet away. <laughs> and so, as every Good River Guide knows, you have this one final call in the bathroom because there's inevitably that one person who forgot to go. So, before you take down the toilet, which is the very last thing that you pack in your boats, you go, last call on the Groover! And if no one runs, then you're probably good to take it down. So I did my shout. I called the Groover one last time, and no one came. So I was like, all right. I made it one more week out in the wilderness. Everyone was happy. Everyone had some really successful trips and good memories. You know what? I'm just going to go take down the toilet for the rest of the crew. Like, normally I don't, this isn't my specific job on this crew, but I'm going to go do it anyway because I'm in a really good mood. <laughs> so... The place that the bathroom is set up at California Creek, it's beautiful. There's a creek on the upstream side of this camp, um, and it's shaded, and it's kind of dark, and we set up the toilet right next to this creek. And there's some fresh mint that happens to grow kind of near there. So it's, it's this very like serene fairy garden feel when you're heading over that direction. And I'm feeling like I've got things going on, I'm in a pretty good mood, and so I start to head that direction. And as I turned the corner to right where you would start to see the toilet, but that you couldn't see anyone else in camp, so you're in this like little limbo land between toilet land and camp land, there's three very distinct rocks stacked on top of each other. And I camp here pretty frequently in the summer, but I'd never seen these rocks carined quite in this way. So there's three huge rocks carined on top of each other. And on top of the three rocks was this beautiful Dairy Queen swirl of a poop <laughs> with toilet paper as like the whipped cream on top. <laughs> now, I only had one guest all week who was asking me where to poop. What if this happened? Dagny, if the world was blowing up and I really needed to go to the bathroom, where would I go? And I just flat out told him in the Groover every time, but I knew that he was going to pull something like this. So, in having such a frustrating year the year before, and feeling like I kind of had my shit together then, 
I just collected myself, I gloved up, I grabbed a trash can, and I thought, man, you know, a lot of people told me that as you grow up, you have to learn how to deal with some shit. But why didn't anyone ever tell me that it wouldn't be mine? Thanks, Dagny, and thank you for listening today. Be sure to tune in next week. Create some additional technology on the Gatherboard platform that will be helpful, I think, far beyond COVID in terms of small business income generation and economic development and community strength. Join Molly Bradford of Gatherboard as we meet one of the in-kind sponsors of Tell Us Something and hear about their exciting and innovative new service that they'll be launching early in 2021. Tune in for that conversation on the next Tell Us Something podcast. If you want to support what we do, you can do that financially by donating. Go to tellussomething.org and click the handshake support icon in the top right-hand corner. You can also tell someone about the show. Recommend Tell Us Something to just two people who have never listened to it. And please rate and review this podcast. If you want to get some cool Tell Us Something merch, visit tellussomething.org slash shop. Thanks again to our title sponsor, The Good Food Store. Shop less, shop solo, and shop fast. Now offering curbside pickup. Learn more at goodfoodstore.com. Thanks also to our enduring sponsors, cabinetparts.com the number one source for cabinet hardware since 1997. Providing the best kitchen cabinet hardware at a great price with knowledgeable hardware specialists, cabinetparts.com is the direct source for all of your cabinet hardware needs. Blackfoot Communications. Since 1954, Blackfoot Communications have fostered a reputation based on exceptional customer service and community involvement. Learn more at blackfoot.com. Thanks to our champion sponsor, True Food Missoula, offering weekly meal delivery to nourish your family and friends, have a look at the menu and order online at TrueFoodCSA.com. Thanks to Cash for Drunkers, who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at CashForDrunkersBand.com. Thank you to our in-kind sponsors, Logjam Presents. Top Hat Restaurant and Bar is open with limited capacity in-house dining and takeout. The Top Hat also now features geodome dining, social distancing, taken to the next level. Their new private geodomes seat two to six people and are perfect for staying warm and cozy while enjoying local food and drink through the winter months. Learn more and reserve your dome at logjampresents.com. Missoula Broadcasting Company. Learn more at missoulabroadcasting.com. Float Missoula, formerly known as Enlighten Lab Float Center. Learn more at floatmsla.com. Inertia Physiotherapy. Move better, feel better, stay in motion. Inertiaphysiomt.com. Introducing Joyce of Tile, a woman-owned business serving the greater Missoula area, specializing in interior finish work. If you have a tile project, consider Joyce. Learn more at JoyceofTile.com, GeckoDesigns.com, MissoulaEvents.net, podcast production by me, Mark Moss. To learn more about Tell Us Something, please visit TellUsSomething.org. Stay safe, wear a mask, take care of yourself, and take care of each other.